Want to hear 25 remote work experts share their amazing strategies and processes for building successful remote work companies and remote team? We've got speakers from leading companies like Thinkific, Evergreen Profits, Dynamite Circle, and Tribe Theory, and more. Register for your free ticket now at www.remotebusinesssummit.com. That's right, www.remotebusinesssummit.com. We'll see you there, November 18 to 22. Woohoo! Welcome to Founders Connect Podcast. We help lifestyle entrepreneurs to grow their business online and create a happier marriage. Did you know that approximately 45% of marriages end up in divorce and 65% of all startups fail due to founder conflicts? Well, we're here to change that. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest and practical tips to help you with business, relationships, and sustainable living. Now, let Let the the fun begin. begin! Hi, I'm Cindy Pham. And I'm Anthony Chansomuth. And we're from Founders Founders Connect. Connect. Today I have with me a very, very cool guy by the name of Robert Gelb, who is the CEO of HeySummit.com, which is actually a beautiful virtual summit platform that we're actually using for our upcoming remote business summit. He's also a founder and CEO of, uh, is it Kindaba? Is that how you say it? That's right. Beautiful. Okay. Awesome, Rob. And that's a platform to communicate, organize, and make memories with other members of your family. So we're going to get into the background behind both platforms and, and your journey as an entrepreneur. Now, Rob's, I love that you're passionate about leadership, accountability, distributed team cultures, and tech, cool ideas. And I like this part on your Twitter profile, which says, cheerleading awesome people. <laughs> you definitely look like a cheerleader. So that, that's what resonates here. <laughs> so welcome to the uh, podcast, Rob. Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me. So let's talk about your, well, you've got two different businesses and and platforms that you're working on. So why don't you just take us back to uh, maybe how you started with Kendaba and then then we'll get into Hey Summit in a moment. Sure, sure. Happy to. In terms of Kendaba, I mean, it's more of a side project just to let you know. Sure. Uh, But it all started back in 2015. I had been working at a company, at a, at, a, at a university. And my family was all over the world. Quite a few of us live everywhere that you could think of from East Coast, West Coast, the US, South Africa, India, China, all over the place. And uh, we were having a problem because we were pretty privacy conscious and we didn't want to use Facebook to share pictures of the baby in the bathtub. And so uh, it, it really kind of started as a personal need. And we wanted to create a place where you could you know, share the memories uh, with other members of your family especially those who are living around the world. So like for diaspora communities um, yeah. and people who are living far away from home. That's kind of what started that. And, uh, and we've been going since about 2017. And, you know, thousands of family members, not all mine, are using it, <laughs> using it all the time uh, to share memories. And then in terms of Hey Summit, that also kind of started off as a bit of a side project. But um, the, the kind of original creator, Ben, who I, I don't know if you've, you've met as well, wanted to create a summit last year for another brand of his. And uh, he couldn't find a summit software that was good enough, so decided to make his own. So we were helping him out a little bit with it by the end of last year and still very much thinking that this would be a side project. 
but then we were we we decided to go on AppSumo, which is a early deal site, basically to offer it up and see if people would use it for this niche that we thought might be out there. And people did, and it was far more successful than we ever thought. And that's kind of propelled us into expanding it a lot quicker than we thought. And and it's it's turned into a full on full time business. That's incredible. Uh, I read the. Um... I think you, had, you posted somewhere around just that experience with AppSumo because a lot of obviously SaaS platforms, people who are launching a validation process, use it as a way to see, how, well, is there a market for it? Can we generate sales you know, with the platform? And what feedback can we get from the users to really improve the product? And so when you say you, know, you, you did well with the test, what were you looking for in terms of results from that launch? And then what did you learn as a follow-on from that process? Well, I mean, obviously, any test or any experiment that you run as a business should be should be tied to revenue if at all possible. And so we had an idea that this might be really interesting for a select few few people. And AppSumo is pretty well known for finding interesting companies that are on the earlier side of their development lifetime, but at the same time, you know, offering some hidden gems. And the audience that uh, AppSumo speaks to is the audience that we wanted to reach out to. So we thought, let's try this out. Let's see if it works. If, it's, if, it's, if it brings in a little bit of money, that's great. We could uh, use that to expand the platform and, and, and make it a little bit better. But we ended up doing about six times as well as we thought, which from a monetary perspective is quite you know, significant. And uh, I know that AppSumo has been very happy with our performance as well. That was kind of the experiment, uh, but from a money side, but more so from a from a user side. When you go on something like AppSumo, and we can talk about the reasons why one would go on to something like AppSumo, you're really looking for the community. You're looking for a passionate group of people that know that you're still early, are passionate about what it is that you're building, and who aren't afraid to give you feedback. And uh, luckily, we, we have that in spades with our kind of AppSumo cohort. So it's not only helping us from a monetary perspective in terms of getting the business uh, going, but you have a, a group of people that are your harshest critics, but strongest supporters. And that, that is the thing that every kind of startup and every early stage business, especially SaaS business, really wants to have. Amazing. And when you came on board uh, to work with Ben on the, on the project, you originally were you already coming in as a CEO, or were you in a different capacity, and then you became the CEO afterwards? How did that work? No, so so, so it was brought in to run the company. The plan was: I'm a consultant. I consult on a lot of other uh, kind of companies. Was uh, running Kindaba uh, as well. I'm old friends with Ben, and for a while now, we had been wanting to work together on something, and so this presented the the golden opportunity. And as you know, Ben also uh, runs a couple of other companies. And so this one, certainly we both felt needed a lot more kind of attention and a kind of a growth plan in place. So that was kind of the background. Awesome. And what has been in your career, like we haven't gone back to like when you're at uni and all sorts of things like that, and that's okay. I'm curious about just in terms of your journey so far, what do you feel has been maybe perhaps a, the most courageous decision you've made professionally? Uh, I'm always hesitant to, to say anything that I do is courageous. I think maybe risky, if I'm <laughs> going to say that. <laughs> risky, but rewardful, rewarding uh, was, so right after university, I had, a, I had a choice to make. I could go and work for a consulting firm. Uh, I could go and try and join a 
company. I could go to business school, you know, a whole bunch of different options. And I, I both didn't really know what I wanted to do aside from wanting to build something my, myself. Mm. Um, and I knew that I was too immature for business school. I hadn't had any kind of business experience yet. So what I decided to do, this was back in 2011. So I decided to create my own project. My own, um, we set it up as a nonprofit. It was a year-long project going around the US in a converted school bus, uh, making documentary films about people who were doing inspiring things in their communities, but who weren't getting a lot of recognition for it. Wow. And the reason why I wanted to do it is one, I just, I've always wanted to live in a school bus. Two, I've really been interested in documentary filmmaking in a particular style and letting people tell their own story. But then three, I wanted to construct a project that would be incredibly difficult, but that would have KPIs, that would have things uh, that were arbitrarily set that we could, you know, goals that we could set and see if we could make them. And so we did that and uh, had to raise about $150,000 for it. I had to learn about how to set up a nonprofit, um, how to learn how to drive a school bus. I had to learn how to, in a sense, hire people. Uh, you know, three of the people on the bus, we knew each other and two didn't know anybody. So you're learning about how to make sure that you're picking the right candidates, but also that people are supported along the way because it's a very stressful environment, uh, living with four other people in a nine foot by 40 foot space, living, working, eating, all that kind of stuff. And so it taught me a huge amount about logistics, about, uh, about planning, about budgeting, about pitching. And I have to say like that was something that when I was first starting out, people were thinking, oh, this is a bit weird. But for me, it, it really was kind of my business school through practice. And I have to say that that has set me up super, super well to not only take those lessons and, and put them into money-making you know, uh, mm. companies, but also just the way that I structure myself, work with people, uh, have expectations, manage people. So that was, I think, one of the riskiest but rewarding decisions that I took early on and I'm most proud of. That's incredible. Good on you. Like I... Um... I haven't been in a school bus. That's something that my wife and I have spoken about. Uh, but we, well, I, when I was living in Toronto many years ago, I um, jumped in an RV, kind of like a motorhome type thing. And uh, yeah, with five strangers and we drove from Toronto to Vancouver. And then I hitchhiked from Vancouver to Portland, I think. Uh, anyway, it was a really interesting experience. And you're right, like living in close quarters with different type of people and personalities, that's quite a challenge in its own. And to, to then build a business on top of that is really incredible. For people listening to this and they've got, they're like, wow, okay, didn't even know you could even do that. Like that's, that's probably not your, your typical MBA journey or experience. So how did you learn about, you mentioned pitching and raising funds and how did you go about actually, and it's also that you did as a nonprofit, which was really interesting for me. So how, how did you learn those skills? You know, do you have mentors? Did you read things? Where did you work out how to do those things? You are listening to the Founders Connect podcast, helping lifestyle entrepreneurs to grow their business online and create a happier marriage. Now back to the show. Sure. Um, so uh, it was a mixture of things. Obviously, there are quite a few people that I, that I talked to that I tried to learn from. And as with anybody who's either starting a business or starting a project, the first idea that you have needs to be conducted as an experiment and it is going to be the most inefficient uh, experiment that you ever run. So the quickest way to learn fast is by failing fast. You have a hypothesis, you quickly test it, it doesn't work, you make corrections, you keep, do, keep going. And I found that to be the best kind of approach. So 
heck, I was thinking at the beginning, you know, we were, we were thinking, all right, so we need $150,000. Um, let's break that down into how many $100 donations we might be able to get. And now let's write to all the banks in the area, all the, you know, uh, rotary clubs in the area, all the, those people. So spent like, you know, two weeks crafting the perfect letter and printing it out and finding all these addresses and it didn't work. None of it worked. So we were thinking, all right, well, what else can we do? Maybe we go out after larger brands. Um, maybe there are certain costs that actually we don't need to pay for if we get a sponsor that gives us the thing that they're mm. going to do. So right. we got someone to sponsor our telecommunications costs, so our uh, cell phone costs, and, and then another sponsor to sponsor the conversion of the bus, uh, which was a, a, a big amount. Another one to sponsor the, our food, another one for the camera equipment yes. and things like that. And so we slowly kind of learned how to, how to articulate the ask so that it would be appropriate for the potential sponsor. And in that case, you're, you're not asking for a hundred dollars, you know, you're asking for, for a lot more and you're also delivering them certain assurances or expectations in terms of coverage and, and outreach. And it was tough. And the nature of the project itself, it was a very hard thing to, to raise funds for because it was, we were wanted to do all the lower 48 States. So yeah. if we were just going to be sticking in, you know, the Philadelphia area for the whole year, we would be building up a, a following a group of people that were, were watching us in that area. We could then go to the local, you know, local sponsors and they'd be assured that they were going to have a lot of exposure. Whereas if you're saying, oh, no, no next week we're going to be in Alabama and then we're going to be in Texas and all that kind of stuff. It's hard because in the U.S., as you know, everything's so big. Yes. So if you're, if you're, even if you're a major bank, you might not have any presence in 30 states. So it's a tough kind of thing to, to go on. But the, the quickest way for that I would suggest anybody who's interested in trying to get started is talk to people. Definitely talk to people. Surround yourself with mentors, but also don't be afraid to disagree with those mentors and don't be afraid to, to just to move on and move forward because the, the person who's making the key decisions is you. It's not, it, they aren't your mentors. They aren't these people that are offering you advice. Advice is free. Advice is really easy. Advice is cheap. But kind of, you also have to have a, a sense of confidence, sense of self-confidence that you are going to do something, you're going to try something, and you're going to either learn from from it or it's going to succeed. I see a lot of people who somewhat have this have this paralysis of saying, "Oh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited to get started, but I just need this one more piece of information. I just need this one more piece of knowledge." You're never going to get that complete awareness, that complete confidence. Just start doing it, and when you fail that's a good thing. You know, that's you learning. So make sure that when you fail, it's about very small things so you can course correct. Yeah. That's oh, long, long, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's amazing. Thanks, Rob. All right, let's jump into the summit and uh, what does the remote work revolution mean for you specifically and, and in your experience? I think whether it's with uh, Hey Summit or with Kendaba, I've always been, I've always just considered it work, right? <laughs> and it's interesting that from my perspective as someone who, who hires people, I want the best person for the job. I want the best person who's, who's able to do the job. What doesn't matter to me is being able to watch you from your desk, <laughs> right? Doing your job. And I, I speak with a lot of people who are more traditional employers and they're kind of flabbergasted about that. And they're saying, well, how do you know if someone's doing the work? And I said, well, is the work done? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, some of these basic, basic things. And so for me, the, the remote working revolution makes perfect sense, but it's just the kind of the way that I've always done business. And it relies on things that I think people assume are there in normal kind of employer employee relationships. 
but surprisingly isn't. And, and that's trust and trust that you are hiring and you are working with an adult. Trust that flexibility is respected either way and just trust that people are interested in doing good work. And I think that obviously there are challenges when it comes to employing people remotely just because of time zones, uh, because of uh, family situations, because you know I've just arrived to the hotel and there's no Wi-Fi, so I can't get on for a call. But uh, the benefits of that from an employer's perspective are often never really discussed, at least when I'm talking to other people who hire folks. You know, flexibility yields a, a much more dedicated, you know, a staff member, team member. And uh, oftentimes the challenge that we have is encouraging people not to work versus uh, working, asking where they've been. So for, for me, I think the, the, the remote revolution is great but it's also the way that the world is moving anyway. So from a company perspective, the sooner that other companies can get on board being okay with not needing to monitor staff all the time. And you know, if you wanna go work from Thailand for three weeks, go work from Thailand for three weeks. If we can make changes as companies to attract you know, remote team members, but remembering that they are, just because they're remote team members doesn't mean that they're not full team members. The more that companies can do that, I think the more that they're going to succeed. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that was what you were looking for. No, that's absolutely like that's spot on because of my experience. And like I started remote working back in 2003 when I was first given my laptop. I was working for Hewlett Packard at the time, gave me a laptop, a pager and a mobile, a cell phone and said, hey, go home. You're working from home this weekend. And that was kind of the beginning stages of what we now see as, you know, a large percentage of the workforce globally is moving. Like that's very common now. Yeah, I remember reading Jason Freed. Uh, Freed, is that his name? The Basecamp founder. So their books, they, they put out on remote work and, and they talked about some of these things that you mentioned as well and how there's a lot of assumptions about if the person is working sitting next to you in the same room that they're working, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're as productive or more productive than if they were remote. And that's been proven many times to be false. It comes back to mentality around managing people versus leading people and all these other things we'll talk about, I'm sure. So on the summit, you're going to be talking about using virtual summits as a way to grow a business. That's something that a lot of people in the Hay Summit community are doing. And then I've been active in there. I've seen people talk about the different types of summits and, and it's very like what type of topics people are talking about, which I really like. And I remember when we, had, we first had our, the first time we had a conversation, you know, everything from people who are driving around the country in caravans and, and things versus nomads. And then you've got like health and wellness people and you've got all kinds of different, very diverse types of experiences and they're all running summits. So why do you feel it's an important time now for this idea of a virtual summit? Why is this coming up now? We're in 2019, but why do you think moving into 2020, why is it an important time for people to learn about it? It's a good question. So I, I think, yeah, virtual summits are, are kind of this the latest buzzword in a way. And obviously, humbly, we don't, we think there it's a little bit more than a buzzword, but there are a lot of first off benefits of why virtual summits may make sense for you. They might not, to be honest, but they may. But to your kind of the latter point of your question first, why is this the right time? I think that you're seeing a convergence of a few things. You're seeing, you know, a, a lot more people that are willing to engage in virtual events than you used to. There was, you know, uh, virtual conferences, virtual XYZ was always kind of parodied uh, a few years ago. So that's starting to change. I think just because so much training is now delivered online, 
that's been a huge, a huge plus, you know, if you're going to an event online and still getting your personal or professional development credits for, for that, it becomes a serious thing and something that you need to take seriously. So there is this kind of understanding that the online world is full of not only um, interesting facts and interesting information, but a way for you to learn in an organized way. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, I think the technology has just gotten better. You know, the fact that you have players like Zoom, like Big Marker and others, you're seeing, you know, far more technological stability when it comes to video calls. The infrastructure is just much better. And so, you know, you are speaking from, I'm not sure where, but it could be your, your home office or your, or your house. I'm speaking from, you know, from an office, I'm not plugged into the ethernet and yet we're having a conversation. Whereas even just a few years ago, I, I remember when I was working at a, at a university back in 2013, we were trying to do video interviews with uh, alumni all around the world. And half the time they didn't work just because Skype was playing up or their connection wasn't good. And that kind of stuff doesn't happen before. So I think from a technological perspective, it's, it's increased as well. And I guess the final thing is the bandwidth question. Mm, yeah. and when you're talking about capturing someone's attention, whether it's because of the lead magnet or because of you're actually trying to sell them something. The importance of bandwidth is important as in mental, mental. bandwidth, yeah. being able to have something that is, that is about one single subject uh, that is taking quite a lot of your time to get you to into that feeling of either awareness, conversion, or, or whatever it is that you're, you're looking to do. And an online summit works really well from that perspective because you both have multiple points of, of contact, but it's also something that can usually be enjoyed on demand. So, you know, the one-off webinar is far more likely to be forgotten or missed or, you know, never gotten back to, but a summit with 10 talks, mm. you know, is, is a much larger thing. And it's able to kind of be, be uh, kept in the mind and at the front of the mind a lot easier. So there are a bunch of different reasons, I think, why virtual summits make sense, but we can get into specifically when they do and when they don't. Yeah. So the technology piece is really interesting because you mentioned 2013. I remember when we were using things like Cisco routers and like back when I was in my corporate days, and that technology was ridiculously expensive. Uh, you wouldn't have a home user, you know, we wouldn't have that unless you were the engineer, you know, working on the actual technology. So that's shifted tremendously like in the last 10 years. All right. So if you could finish this sentence, Rob, it's not about virtual summits. What is it really about? It's about delivering value. Boom. All right. And we're going to get into that. And you're going to be giving a prize away for one lucky winner who listens to your talk live on the Remote Business Summit. What's that prize going to be? Right. So uh, obviously, Hey Summit is a virtual summit platform. So we are a platform where you can run a virtual summit where all the tools you need from promotion to attendee management to speaker management to organizing the delivery of your your summit subject before you needed to use about four or five tools now you, you just need one so we are we operate as a SaaS business so you can pay per month to access uh, the platform or uh, you can pay per event and so uh, each event costs a thousand dollars if you wanted to pay it one off and so our giveaway is going to be one free event for you to run fully. So that's up to 20,000 attendees to your summit and uh, the event stays on for life. So you can use that one kind of credit to run your own virtual summit, you know, on your own free of charge. That comes with obviously support from your team, any questions around how to use the tool, there's a community uh, around. Yep. Custom branding. Um, if you wanted to run your own custom payment processor, you want to sell your tickets, all that kind of stuff is included. 
Amazing. So, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. One lucky winner will get that chance. So make sure you head over to remotebusinesssummit.com, register for your free ticket before the free ticket time limit expires and that will expire at some point. And then you can join myself, Rob, and 25 other experts all talking about remote business and, and remote work and why it's really important right now to understand how it all, you know, how it's all happening right now. So thanks, Rob, for joining us today and uh, we will see you on the summit. Thank you. Alrighty. Thanks for tuning in and remember to live passionately, purposefully and confidently. Till next time, 